Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in to Cats Talk Wednesday. Everybody's having a great Wednesday afternoon. Vinny Hardy here. I'm in Terry T.B. Brown joins us from Louisville, the largest city in our home state of Kentucky. What's going on, T.B.? Man, it's football week. Are you ready for some football? Yeah. It's here. So it definitely I am, is. I am super excited. Same here, and I apologize for the brief little touch of dead air. I was on the phone with our guest because he is scheduled to be on right off the jump with us. So I was on the phone calling Mr. Jason Munns, who is a journalist for the Hattiesburg American, going to come in and bring us some Southern Miss Golden Eagle perspective for the second year in a row. So, Jason, it's deja vu all over again. Thank you for joining us the show as it's UK and Southern Miss Part 2. Yeah, indeed it is, and, and uh, I really appreciate you guys for uh, for having me on. And, you know, I've heard you on various different shows across the state, you know, the Leach Report, Tom Leach, and, and Freddie Maggie. We have both of those guys on, and, uh, of course, they're big time. So we appreciate you hopping on with some little guys like ourselves and, and still bringing the knowledge. <laughs> well, no, I, I get it. It's, it's my pleasure, and I and, uh, can't wait to uh, – Dive right into uh, to, to this matchup. I guess it's what less than uh, what are we? Probably less than seventy two hours away now. Gosh, it's uh, it's finally here. That's it. The long wait is finally over. Of course, we know what happened last year in Lexington. The tale of two halves for both schools. The tale of the second half went in Southern Miss's favor. They left Commonwealth Stadium. With a 44-35 victory, what? Just tell our listeners what the Golden Eagles went on to do after starting off one and zero and kind of getting a, a shot in the arm and momentum. How did the rest of the season play out for the Golden Eagles? Yeah, well, uh, Southern Miss uh, after uh, after coming away with that win, um, which turned out to be uh, and still is their largest come from behind victory in school history. Uh, they used that to sort of propel themselves to a nice, a nice little start. Um, they beat uh, Southern Miss, beat Savannah State, uh, lost to Troy, and then won a couple of more games. I believe uh, a couple of conference games. Started out two and zero in Conference USA, and then really hit the skids. Man, it was uh, it was it was not pretty there for a while. Um, you know, a couple of. Uh, you know, tough losses here and there. And then uh, in a game against Charlotte, uh, 
I guess it was, yeah, a game against Charlotte here in Hattiesburg. Um, Nick Mullins gets hurt uh, with the he's, uh, under, under the, you know, he gets hit and, and has to come off. He uh, suffered a concussion. His backup played, I think, two series, uh, Parker Adamson. And he goes down with a knee injury. So they had to finish the game with a running back at quarterback. Uh, and, and, and anyway, uh, Nick Mullins missed the next two games. Uh, they lost both those games against Old Dominion in North Texas, and uh, you know, so they were they were they were not feeling too good about themselves. They had fallen to five and six, uh, needed a victory in the season finale against Louisiana Tech, uh, heavily favored Louisiana Tech coming into Hattiesburg, uh, needed that win to get bowl eligible, and they got it, uh, beat Louisiana Tech, and went on to win the New Orleans Bowl against Louisiana Lafayette, finished seven and six. So uh, I think all things. Considered, it was it was not a bad season. Uh, you know, it was it was probably a step back in terms of win, wins and losses from the season before when they went nine and five uh, and and went to the heart of Dallas Bowl where they played Washington. But uh, you know, it, it certainly was not as bad as it could have been by any stretch. And you mentioned losing Mullins, of course. You know, all of us Kentucky fans heard a lot about him going into the last season, uh, about what a, uh, a good quarterback he was, a good passer he was, experienced and things of that nature. And then you kind of were in scramble mode, as you mentioned, with the immediate backup going down. Or are, are the Golden Eagles sounds like still kind of trying to find the replacement as we hear they possibly may go up to game day before they decide on the starter for Saturday's game. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I don't think anybody's going to, you know, I don't think anybody over at Southern Miss is going to tip their hand until until Saturday. Uh, you know, it's really down to Southern Miss feels a lot better about their depth at quarterback this season than they did last year. Um, you know, when, when Mullins went down and his backup, Parker Adamson, went down, uh, they had to take the red shirt off of Keon Howard, and he did not perform very well at all. I mean, he showed glimpses here and there of, you know, of why they signed him, uh, but he wasn't ready. And, you know, the results kind of showed that. I think he threw four interceptions in in his two starts, three or four interceptions in his two starts, and and lost four fumbles uh, in his two in those two games. So, um, but but you know he's he's uh, he's learned a lot from from his. Uh, you know, trial by fire, as it were, and um, so it's it's basically the race is down to him and Quadre Griggs, who has uh, who has really, you know, I think he's probably had the better off season of the two, and you know he just shows he he, he has a much better sort of grasp of the system, and and he's a lot better, uh, I guess you would say, leader of the offense, uh, but recently. He uh, suffered a, 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 an injury to his right middle finger on his throwing hand uh, that, that kept him out for four or five practices, and that's kind of what delayed, has delayed this timeline. I think they would have rather, you know, had somebody in mind by now or, or by a couple of days ago, by, by earlier this week. Uh, but, you know, when, when Quadre Griggs missed those, missed those practices, they said, well, it's not really fair to him uh, to – to make a decision, you know, without giving him every opportunity to win the job. 
Um, so they're they're going to play it, let it play out, and uh, and and come up with uh, come up with their answer, come up with their answer here in the next probably forty eight hours or so. And, and TB, feel free to jump in. You know, I get long winded and try to fire off a bunch of questions, man. I know, I know you have <laughs> stuff too. Well, yeah, I'm just I'm just soaking this all in. I mean, I was at the game last year, and it was just a total flip of the switch uh, in that game. Now, looking forward to this year's game, how do you anticipate this kind of playing out? I know it's first game, rosters have completely changed, and some coaching changes on both sides, but it's at home. How is that home field advantage going to play out down there in Hattiesburg? You know, to be completely honest, it wouldn't surprise me terribly if if it's a lot like last year's game. Only Southern Miss is the one that starts out strong, and 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 then you know maybe loses its way or or cools off a lot uh, in the second half. And and Kentucky is the one who has the better second half than Southern Miss. That wouldn't surprise me. Uh, of course, you know don't don't know exactly uh, you know don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but. Um, I could see that happening, you know, just the way the way the universe works. Sometimes I, I could certainly see uh, turnabout being being fair play, um, you know, this time around for uh, for Kentucky and Southern Miss. Now, I know I know again, like you mentioned, these two teams are drastically different than they were a year ago. Neither neither of the quarterbacks that started last year are going to start this year. Um, you know, uh, you've got a, a whole new, basically a whole new offensive scheme uh, from the Wildcats. Uh, you know, I know they they sort of made that transition, what midway through last year, toward the toward the second half uh, of last season. But uh, you know, Southern Miss has not seen this Kentucky offense, uh, you know, ever. And so I think that's going to be uh, probably the biggest factor in this in this matchup come Saturday is can Southern Miss handle uh can Southern Miss's defense handle Benny Snell and that that smash mouth version of uh, of Kentucky offense that they sort of adopted later last year. Exactly. So um it, it will be a different look. They they didn't face Benny Snell or Steven Johnson in that game because right. Steven came in a couple games later after Barker was injured against Florida. Going back to the Golden Eagles and you know, the importance of finding a quarterback to to come in and, and be capable at worst and, and, and you know, um, ease some pressure and lead the offense because we know what Edo Smith brings to the table. What are some of the other pieces around him on the offense that could help maybe soften up some of those fronts that he will see uh, if the quarterback play is uh, better than what you saw last year and better than what you anticipate after what you're seeing, you know, going into camp. Well, I think for starters, I think that uh, Southern Miss's running back group is a lot deeper than it was a year ago. I mean, and that feels weird saying that considering Edo Smith rushed for 173 yards and George Payne, uh, had over 100 yards himself uh, as the backup, uh, you know. But I, I, George Payne won't play to, uh, won't play Saturday. Uh, but 
even still, even without George Payne, I think this is as deep as the running back group has been in quite some time. You know, you're looking at guys like Tez Park. He's a junior, a redshirt junior, but he's never been healthy since he got to Southern Miss. He's, he's sort of uh, transformed his body a little bit, uh, changed the way he's taking care of himself, and he looks, you know, he's in probably the best shape he's been since he got to Southern Miss, and so uh, coaches are, are very high on him. And then you're talking about guys like T-Rod Daniels, who uh, he's a very small, uh, looks a lot like a scat back uh, type of guy. He's probably all of 5'8", 170 pounds, but um, he's been clocked as low as like 4'2", 9", uh, in the 40. And so he, he brings an element of, you know, just elite speed to that group that, that – uh, has been absent for quite some time for Southern Miss. And uh, you could even throw in a guy like Colin Kilcrease, who's going to kind of fill that void of, of the, of the bigger sort of more physical uh, power back that, that George Payne uh, left. Uh, Colin Kilcrease is going to try to do his best to spell, to spell George Payne. Other than that, uh, you know, the receiver group is probably the deepest or maybe even maybe the second deepest uh, position group uh, on the team, you're, you're thinking of guys like Alan Zay Staggers, who was the leading receiver on this team a year ago with 1,165 yards and seven touchdowns. Isaiah Jones, who had a nice game at Kentucky last year, he's back. He's he's the guy who caught the uh, the touchdown pass, sort of the long touchdown pass over the middle uh, late in the first half that got Southern Miss sort of going again, got yeah. the offense going again. He's back. Um, Corey Robertson had over 500 yards receiving. He's back. He's a redshirt junior. Um, and there's, you know, they've got their their whole second team, as far as receivers are concerned, you know, could probably be starters if the if if the other three guys that I mentioned weren't here. So, um, you know, I, I think they feel good about their skill guys on offense. It's just going to be a matter of can their new offensive line gel. You know they've only got uh, they've they've got three uh, three guys back on the offensive line. Devin Ferrier was at right guard last year. He's now at center. Jerry Harris was kind of a backup uh, backup. You know whatever position on the offensive line, he played some tackle, some guard last year as a, as a primary backup. He's now the starting right guard. And uh, Ty Pollard is really uh, the only other one he played right tackle, started right tackle in every game last year, and he's back at right tackle. Uh, but you've got a couple of new pieces, Arvin Fletcher at left guard and Drake Dorr back at left tackle. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, just how well they, uh, you know, get acclimated and, and how well they make the the step up from, you know, from, uh, you know, to, to, to being on the first team. Uh, and then again, like we talked about the quarterback position, um, you know the offense has playmakers. It's just whether can the can the offensive line, the retooled offensive line, uh, give them time to make plays, and can the quarterback distribute the ball um, like they need him to. Exactly. Talking with Jason Munn of the Hattiesburg American, a little preview of UK Southern Miss, which takes place uh, this coming Saturday down in Hattiesburg. Where was? Southern Miss projected to finish in Conference USA for most of pundits or media days uh, before the season started. Yeah, they were picked to finish third in Conference USA West. 
uh, in the Conference USA West Division behind Louisiana Tech and Texas San Antonio. Um, that's probably about where I had them. Uh, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was either second or third in the West Division is where I had Southern Miss, uh, simply because of the unknowns. I mean, and it's all on offense. I mean, we know what we know what Southern Miss is, what we're going to get out of Southern Miss on defense. Uh, and and for the most part on special teams, uh, but there's just the, the, the biggest question marks um, are on offense, at quarterback and on the offensive line, and and those are two very very critical uh, those are critical uncertainties. And so um, you know I just I I don't think people were comfortable not knowing what not knowing what they're going to get out of out of the quarterback position and the offensive line for Southern Miss to, uh, to, to pick them any higher. So um, I believe it was third place, uh, third behind Louisiana Tech and UTSA. And speaking of knowing what you're going to get on defense, one of your recent articles in the Hattiesburg American was about Paul Paul and the ball-headed bandits. Tell us a little bit about those guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he's, he, he, they got some characters over there on that defense, and he's one of them. He's probably the ringleader. Uh, his his nickname is Paul Paul, but uh, his real name is Xavier Thigpen. He's a uh, fifth year senior. He runs about six five, maybe six six, um, about two hundred and forty five, two hundred and fifty pounds. So he's very much a long and lean guy. Um, I want to say that he either he either had a forced fumble or a fumble recovery. In last year's game, I, in the third or fourth quarter, uh, that was really a big, a big play in that game. It, it, it stopped the drive somewhere deep in Southern Miss territory, um, and he came up with, he came up with that play. He either forced the fumble or he, or he recovered it. And, you know, he's he's a pass rush specialist, so I don't know how much, how much, Kentucky's going to see of him this year. But, uh, but yeah, uh, recently did a story on him. He he sort of he he had a cousin who who played here, and uh, he's still very good friends with a number of the defensive linemen that that uh, have gone on to bigger and better things. Jamie Collins, who's with the Cleveland Browns, uh, Kyrie Thornton's with the Detroit Lions, Raheem Nunez Roaches is with the Kansas City Chiefs, and you know they they all sort of carried the torch. Uh, for the defense when they were here and they passed it along to him. And, um, you know, I guess it's just one of those traditions that uh, that you see every year. Uh, he, and, he and a bunch of the defensive linemen and linebackers shaved their head clean and called themselves the ball-headed bandits. And, and uh, it's just – it's more or less a subset of what uh, the Southern Miss defense uh, nickname is. Uh, they're called the nasty bunch around here. And uh, so that's – that's kind of their their own little subset of the nasty bunch, the bald headed bandits. That'll probably be some names that we hear a lot this coming oh, yeah. Saturday for sure. Yeah. Um, I was looking at the schedule this year for Southern Miss, and of course, you know, Kentucky comes to Hattiesburg, and notice you also step out of conference and make a trip to Knoxville, and then I was thinking, you know, was that unusual? And then looking back, last year, of course, you played at Lexington, you know, playing Kentucky, and then you also played LSU. So is it mm-hmm. is it just with the 
you know, the conflict with Kentucky coming onto the schedule because Kentucky didn't have UAB, that there's two SEC teams back-to-back, or is that something that they try to do as often as possible when it comes to scheduling or what? They have, you know, they did it a lot uh, in the past, like in the 80s and 90s. They they played a lot of, uh, you know, played Auburn quite a bit, played Alabama uh, a lot. Um, actually, before last season, before before Southern Miss beat Kentucky last year, the last time they had beaten an SEC team was Alabama in 2000. And so, uh, you know, but they got away from it. Uh, you know, I'd say somewhere in the mid-2000s, uh, till probably about 2010, they Southern Miss kind of got away from playing those SEC teams, and uh, and and so now they are starting to to sort of fill the schedule, um, you know, fill it up that way. Uh, you mentioned LSU uh, and Kentucky last season. They have played in recent years. They played Alabama. They played Mississippi State in a home and home. Um, played at Arkansas a few years ago. So, you know, they've 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 done well for themselves as far as scheduling is concerned. Um, but this Tennessee game, you know, this Tennessee game that's, that's in November has been a long time coming. I think they signed that deal probably 10 or 15 years ago, and a lot of people didn't think it would ever, a lot of people didn't think it would ever get played. And, uh, you know, uh, reality is it's, it's finally here, um, and they'll get it. But, uh, you know, no, they, they, Southern Miss has um, future games scheduled with Alabama, Auburn, and Mississippi State, so I don't think it's – I think it's here to stay. Yeah, they're going to make it as consistent or regular of a thing as possible, sounds like, going forward. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do when you're <laughs> when you're uh, one of the schools like Southern Miss that, you know, when you need when you need to, to pay the bills and, uh, and that sort of thing, you, you do what you have to do. For sure, for sure. Can't have you on without asking about – uh, Shannon Dawson, who we were familiar with at Kentucky, going into the last season, you had nothing else to go on as far as how he is. Was the Kentucky game just another game to him, or was he different facing his former you know, employer, so on and so forth? Now you've had a whole season with him down there. Is Kentucky just another game to him this time around like it was this time last year, or is it still – you know, he wanted to get that payback, you know, and stick it to the cat. <laughs> I think it. I think if I had to, you know, if I had to guess, um, I think last year was probably, you know, the fact that it was in Lexington and and all that stuff. I think last year probably uh, probably meant a little more to him than maybe this year. Uh, I I don't know if the same could be said if Southern Miss had lost last year, but um, no, I think. I think it would be, you know, unnatural to, you know, for a guy like that to have been in a situation like that for him to to not feel anything extra, uh, no matter when they play, no matter how many times they play in the future. So I do think Saturday is probably going to have uh, some of that added emphasis uh, for him. But, again, I'm not 100% sure that it will be as um, – heightened of a feeling for him as it was last year, just because, you know, everything was still fresh uh, for him and, and, you know, between him and, and, and the Wildcats. So um, I, I, you know, he hasn't even really brought it up. Nobody's, nobody's really brought it up to him. Uh, there was a lot of, a lot of talk about it last year for sure. 
and and he said, you know, I I'd, I'd be, you know, it wouldn't be human to to not sort of have some of those feelings, but um, this time around, I think it's going to be more, you know, a lot more about the game and and a lot less about the opponent. We're talking with Jason Munns of the Hattiesburg American, getting a little bit of knowledge about the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Tell us, Jason, a little bit about M.M. Roberts Stadium. Tell us about The Rock, the venue that Kentucky will be heading into to play at this coming Saturday. It's uh, it's a small – it's going to be a much smaller venue than I'm sure a lot of Kentucky fans are used to. It holds about uh, capacity somewhere around 36,000, I believe. Um, you know, sellouts are few and far between, so uh, should be, you know, should be plenty of – uh, room. Nobody's going to be packed in like sardines or anything like that. But uh, it, it's it's got some. It's got a lot of charm. Uh, it's definitely more of a sort of. It's got sort of a, a throwback feel to it. Uh, you know, there are some things, some parts of it that you know that have been updated. There's there's a whole south end zone complex that uh, that was added. Gosh, I think probably within the last 15 years they added some seating down there and uh, some balcony seating and some suites and things like that. And they've updated the scoreboard here in the last few years. Uh, Turf is the same way. That's all been updated here in the last couple of years. Um, their field house is, is the same way. It, it was recently uh, redone and, and, and sort of built up and renovated and things like that. But uh, overall, you know, it's just got a very vintage, Sort of throwback um, atmosphere. Not many, not many thrills, not many bells and whistles. But uh, that's probably why they call it the Rock. It's uh, you know that's that's the nickname that uh, everybody uses uh, for MM Roberts Stadium, and and I think it's pretty uh, it's pretty accurate. You know, it's uh, it's not exactly uh, you know the the most fancy or or eye catching of places, but it's. You know, it serves its purpose for sure. Right. Oh, and, of course, most famous alum is probably Brett Favre. Does he still cast a shadow for for good or for bad over the university? How does he, you know, how close is he to the program? And when I ask for good or for bad, you know, you, you, know, you think, you know, Barry Alvarez when he retired, then he was – the AD at Wisconsin and maybe the next coach was maybe a little bit leery of him still being around. What is Brett Favre's impact now, you know, that he's went to the NFL and retired as far as Southern Miss is concerned? Is he still, you know, a saint and revered and, and all that, all those things that we would expect or how is it? Yeah, it is. It, it's very, it's a lot like that. You know, I think, I think more um, respected than, than, than I would say revered. Um, and, and quietly so, you know, he's not, they don't, they don't flash his picture around all over town. There's not a statue of him. There's not a, there's not a street on campus named after him. Uh, wow. Of course, of course, you know, he's got, um, they, they have something called the Eagle Walk, uh, which is the, the street that runs uh, right underneath one of the sides of the stadiums. And, and they've got uh, these banners that they hang. You know, it's kind of like their little walk of fame, I guess you could say. And uh, of course, his he, he's 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 on one of those banners because there's probably you know 30 or 40 other guys. They they just don't 
they don't draw a ton of attention to him, and he doesn't. I, I think he would prefer it that way. Um, he's still around the program, uh, but you may see him two or three times in a football season. Uh, you know, the last couple of years, they'll try him out at halftime in one of the games. Uh, he might speak to the team um, after one of the practices, and then that'll be about it. That'll, that'll really be about all you see of him, and I think he likes it that way, and I think the, the program is happy, uh, you know, is happy with, with the way it is. Um, you know, but you know, there, there, Southern Miss has has plenty of other, uh, you know, big names. I know Ray Guy was recently elected to the NFL Hall of Fame. He's a Southern Miss alum, and he he's been around a lot over the years. Uh, Adelius Thomas, who had a very nice career in the NFL, he's his son is actually on the team. He's a a, a freshman walk on, so he won't play this year. But um, but you know, it's you know, far I don't think is any different than. The Jamie Collinses of the world, the the uh, the Ray guys, uh, the Adelia Thomas, the Michael Bowleys. Um, you know, I think he 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 fits in he fits in real nice. Well, that's interesting, very interesting. You got to just throw a couple curveballs. Everybody listening to the show know we love to talk about food, and we've heard you talk about leases on various different shows. Are you a um, Native Mississippian, or are you a transplant that has kind of just made your way into Hattiesburg now, Jason? No, I've I've been I was uh, I was born in Louisiana, and my family moved to Mississippi probably when I was maybe three, and I've been here ever since. Um, uh, I was I'm, I'm about my my hometown is about two and a half hours west of Hattiesburg, uh, but I've been in Hattiesburg since 1999. And uh, so, yeah, this is definitely home for me. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's, there's, as far as food goes, there's no shortage of, uh, no shortage of, of, of good places to eat around here. And everybody listening, you can follow Jason on Twitter at Munsley, M-U-N-Z-L-Y. Is that Lisa's that you're standing in front of in your bio? I, I can tell it's a restaurant, but I can't really read what the name of it is. Yeah, no, that's, that's um I was actually on my honeymoon in New York City in that photo and that's the uh that's that's the diner from uh Seinfeld. That's the Seinfeld diner. Uh I'm a yeah. big Seinfeld fan and uh and so I had to make a pilgrimage there and, and and get my photo out in front of there. But no Lisa's is uh Lisa's is kind of the the place where you know, it's kind of the local the local place where, you know, it's not really one of the tourists uh, tourist stops, uh, great barbecue there, uh, for sure. And then you've got places like Mug Shots Bar and Grill is, uh, is is another local place that a lot of people like. Uh, Patio Forty Four, you know, these are places that are probably closer to campus than than Lethas is. But uh, you know, you got Ed's Burger Joints, you got Crescent City Grill. There's there's no shortage. Like I said, there's no shortage of good food in Hattiesburg. I can't. Say that I've I've never set foot in Mississippi. I have to get there. The farthest, the closest I've been is Tuscaloosa, so I'm gonna have to venture on into your home state, or pretty much your home state, and well, Louisiana too, for that matter, at, at some point, and kind of check those off on my list. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, you, you'll, it's you know, it's certainly worth the experience at least once. I, I've well, actually we sure been to Hattiesburg. Oh, what? oh have you? 
it, it was oh probably eighty seven, eighty eight, maybe. I'm thinking uh, when Southern Miss was in the Metro Conference uh, basketball right. uh, and played Louisville. Uh, I, I'm going to date myself and the, the the Clarence Witherspoon teams that were really yeah. really good. Yeah. And uh, my family, we went down to uh, Hattiesburg because we've got family in Mississippi. Uh, but we went down there to watch the Cards play uh, way back when. I grew up a Cardinals fan, as you know, as, as long-time <laughs> listeners know. So we went down there for that. Uh, so I've actually been to Hattiesburg. So uh, my connection is, is Cl- the Clarence Witherspoon era is, is what I know about Southern Miss. Well, if you come back, you'll have to look. Uh, you'll have to look Spoon up. He's now an assistant coach on the on the men's basketball team here. He's, I think he's going into his second or third year. So uh, uh, you'll have to you'll have to reconnect with him if you come back. Yeah, and and, and I, I think he's one of those guys that kind of get forgotten about because uh, it was right. before the Sports Center era. It was before kind of, but he was really really good. I mean, not to segue into basketball, but he was like really, really good. So uh, he was, yeah, I, I, yeah. So I know a little bit about sort of a it. sort of a, a poor man's Charles Barkley, I guess, in, in a sense. Yeah, for yeah. an undersized uh-huh. uh, power forward that just played with such—I don't want to say anger, but it was almost—it was almost angry, you know. So uh, right. we'll right. have to bring you on for basketball season for that. Uh, yeah, Thanks yeah. so much for coming on. This has been awesome. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate we, it. We really appreciate it, Jason, and uh, looking forward to the game Saturday. And, and next time you're in Lexington, if you're playing Kentucky, uh, maybe we can be covering the game and get to meet you in person, or I'll have to make a trip to Hattiesburg like you have, Terry, and get to see you down there. <laughs> well, just, now, now granted, great. it was 30 guys, years ago. Oh, yeah, lots changed. <laughs> a lot changed. A lot changed. Well, we can't thank you enough, Jason, for the time and the insight and, and have a good rest of the week and looking forward to the season. I know you are, and we definitely are as well. Okay, gentlemen, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. That was Jason Munns of the Hattiesburg American. Appreciate him taking the time to jump in right at the beginning. Last few times, we've had, we've had guests right at the jump, you know, Keith Madison and Jason and past few guests. So if six o'clock works for them, that's when we have them on, man. So, uh, but I, you notice, TB, he said that he kind of sees maybe the flipping of the script from last year, getting the script flipped again, and maybe Southern Miss jumps out a little bit quick out of the gates. You know, they're at home, um, and then he kind of sees Kentucky kind of getting their legs under them and and maybe having a better second half and finish to the ball game. Didn't didn't ask him for a prediction, but he kind of hinted at how he thought it might play out. Well, yeah, and this is this is I mean, like I said, we're just a few days away from. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say probably really the most is this is this kind of the most anticipated football season in a long time. I mean, really. I know there's still some folks that are kind of, you know, wait and see. They're Missourians with, you know, just show me. But there's 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 some excitement. Uh, Stoops has had some comments uh, today and, and this week leading up that he finally feels that they are ready 
to compete up and down the, the roster, talking about the depth chart. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot to play for. Uh, and after all this, it's, it's finally that time where it's like, okay, let's, let's get the pads cracking. You know, it's, it's, it's football season. The, our long national nightmare is over. Uh, and you get those pads out there. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I know we'll talk a lot about, uh, you know, the, the football game. I, I am optimistic, and I, I don't think that that's a shock. I, you know, I'm saying 10 and 2. I think 9 and 3 is a good mark as well. But I feel really, really good uh, about this. So I've got a couple of soapbox things about the, the football season as well. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm ready for some football. To be honest with you, I am. <laughs> definitely, definitely. We're going to get into all of that. Your thoughts, my thoughts, maybe certain things that you're looking for for Saturday as well as for the rest of the season, the soapbox stuff, um, the Kyrie trade that wasn't, the passing of a coaching legend, tons of stuff to get to and more. And for those of y'all listening, I just put out a little tweet. Give us a little roll call. Where are you listening to the show from? Tweet us where you at, you know, uh, at Cats Talk Wednesday or put it on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cats Talk Wednesday. See where we're getting a wide range of listeners from, where you're hitting the show up at. Uh, let us know, and we'll be back to continue to talk a lot more stuff. We'll take a quick break now. Had a fun first half hour. Jason Munz brought it just like we knew he would. We appreciate that. But we'll get back to more U.K. football, our thoughts, as well as some of the other things going on in the world of sports. Vinny Hardy and Terry Brown, 845-277-9373, blogtalkradio.com slash cats talk is where you can find us. Stay with us. We'll be right back in a couple minutes.
Welcome back, welcome back. Cast Talk Wednesday. Benny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Hit us up at Cast Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter, at Vinny Hardy, at T-Brad underscore 80. Uh, tell us where you listen to the show. Got any other thoughts on the ball game uh, this coming Saturday? Feel free to, to hit us up with those as well. It's going to be a little tricky to find it, TB. It's not, you know, SEC Network. It's not ESPN. It's CBS Sports Network. And, you know, if if you don't have it, it's one of those cases where you got to scramble to kind of get it. Um, a couple of years ago, my package hadn't turned out. It didn't have ESPNU. Had to go and get that on before. I think it was two years ago. Had to add that and make sure I could get the game. I already got CBS Sports Network. I don't watch it much. I mean, you, you get, like, Doug Gottlieb, I think, is on there. Tiki Barber and uh, Tiki and Tierney have a show on there in the afternoons. Uh, there's some bull riding that's on there. When it gets watched, that's kind of what it, My boys love some bull riding, some rodeo stuff. So we'll watch a little bit of bull riding <laughs> on CBS Sports Network. <laughs> and that, that's about it. They love, you know, they're eight and four, man. So it's, it's monster trucks. It's bull riding. And we'll we'll catch a little bull riding on CBS Sports Network. But this coming Saturday, Kentucky and Southern Miss will be coming to us courtesy of CBS Sports Network. So if you don't have it, try to figure out a way to to get it added to whatever package that you got. Well, it's it's like uh, uh, True TV come tournament time, where you're like. I don't even know if I have that on my package. It's one of those channels that you don't really go to, but you got to kind of hunt and find. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I've got I've got plans to to sit down and, and watch the game on Saturday. I'm I'm very very uh, excited about that. Absolutely. Um, what are some of the things you're you're looking for? Uh, we all know about the, the heightened expectations, the increased optimism, the potential to build on last season, 7-5 and five, and going to a bowl game for the first time since 2010. It's all there. You know, Coach Stoops is optimistic. You know, Tom Leach, we had him on last week. He's very bullish. Everybody sees the potential. The team has, of course, go out and, and take care of business. But what are some things maybe you're looking for for Saturday or maybe some things you're looking for for the entire season, games 1 through 20? What, what I have found interesting is this, this feeling that, that Steven Johnson is on a short leash. And it's just it's a little weird to me that we've, we've had a quarterback go seven and two in his starts. If I'm correct on that in the year. And, and yet he, it's like, he's gone a short leash. It's, it's, it, it's, you know, Stoops has talked about turnovers. There's been some folks that, that cover the cats that are uh, kind of more or less beating the drum for Drew Barker. And look, I, I get it. You know, the, the old adage, the most popular person on the football team is the backup quarterback. I, I get it. 
and I know there's some things he needs to improve on. Steven Johnson, I, I get that. But look, look at what he did when he didn't even have time to prepare. You know, we hinted at, you know, after the uh, Southern Miss game last year and just how dreadful the team looked against Florida, they really turned it around in because they got really good play from the quarterback position. I, you, you can't look at that Louisville game and, and say he shouldn't be the guy. And, look, if he struggles, I get it. But I, I would love to see a little bit more. Steven's our man. Drew has got to be ready to go because, as we saw last year, injuries happen. But I, I don't know. It's a weird feeling that it's like, what, what does he have to do? I mean, a 7-2 and two run for a Kentucky quarterback, how long has that happened? You know, how, how long has it been since we've done that? That's my kind of point on uh, – that's where I'm coming from is I, I think he's kind of earned that not just blind faith, but he should, he should kind of have that, yeah, yeah, I'm the man. He, he, he should have that. Now, it's just – it's weird to me. It's, it's right up there with uh, Lamar Jackson not getting a lot of national pub going into this season. And, you know, I've seen a lot of articles on why that is. You know, his last couple of games weren't fantastic and, and this, that, and the other. Uh, but I don't think his shortcomings as they were, as the Cardinals lost those last three games, are any more glaring than Tim Tebow when he came back as a Heisman Trophy winner, than Johnny Manziel. But it's like Lamar's an afterthought. And I'm no Louisville, pro-Louisville guy, but this is it's just weird to have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner return and not see at least one pundit on a national level say, you know, will Archie Griffin finally get company? You know, as a two-time <laughs> winner. So, yeah. uh, it, it's that there's a there's a lot going in to this season that's just it's just weird to me. Outside of folks, you know, wanting to hand the title to Alabama, I get that. That's become a rite of passage for college football. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it was funny, you know, Jason on bringing up that, you know, Southern Miss beat Alabama in 2000. And you're thinking yeah. with Alabama's history and Alabama's now, how does that happen? You know, and, and that's our VMI. You know, that's our, uh, you know, losing to, uh, was it San Diego that year or whoever? You know, even great yeah. programs and have those. Houston. Yeah, you, you you look at those games, you're like, how does that happen? But that's – And Gardner-Webb. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I hope that was but, – uh, But going into uh, football, for me, on the local level, it's how come Steven Johnson isn't that kind of undisputed man? And, and, and how is Lamar Jackson fall, flying under the radar? That's – it's just mind-boggling that that's kind of where we are going into the season. Now, granted, both guys, uh, Louisville opens up against Purdue, and, of course, the Cats go to Southern Miss, have the opportunity to flip that script. You know, if, if Lamar puts on a performance against Purdue at Indy uh, like he did to start off last year, okay, I, the, the buzz is, gonna, is going to come back. I, I get that. 
And if Steven Johnson's able to go down to uh, Southern Miss, you know, throw for a couple of touchdowns, be take care of the ball, orchestrate that offense, okay, then, you know, the, the, the Barker uh, kind of people kind of have to pull back a little bit. I get that. It's just weird that uh, when there's a lot of things that we don't know going into the season, you know, we know how good Lamar Jackson is. We know pretty much what Steven Johnson can do. Um, we know what his record was, and like we've talked about, you know, I know close doesn't count except in anything except grenades and horseshoes, but obviously the Tennessee-Georgia game could have gone either way uh, for the Cats as well. So, uh, again, it's just weird to me that here we are with that uh, particular uh, kind of mindset at this stage of the season. And I was tweeting, I guess it might have been the the Sunday Sports Talk guys, Mark Berger, Anthony White, Larry Vault, and then kind of asked Tom Leach the same thing last Wednesday just because the optimism is increased, and deservedly so. The expectations have increased. Uh, the recruiting has gotten better. Uh, we saw the fruits of that last year. And so we're back to that point again, like we mentioned, uh, in different spurts of Kentucky's history where they're able to get to respectable and now they're able to build off of that, springboard off of that to bigger and better things. There's not a whole lot from a U.K. fan standpoint to worry about or be pessimistic about or bite your nails about. Oh, there's a lot of depth. Oh, there's depth at quarterback. There's you know, there's not a lot to be as concerned about in years past. And to me, it was almost kind of a manufactured angst. Stephen Johnson, Drew Barker, angst. Something to be anxious about. Something to you know be nervous about. Max Gabby kind of retweeted my tweet, and he agreed with that. And it's just, well, we, we're just so used to having something to panic about. Well, let's panic about the quarterback situation. And even though we saw Steven go 7-2, 7-3, and, and like you said, junior college transfer, and as Tom Leach brought out, you know, they always improve more in the second year. And we saw what he did last year just getting thrown in at the spur of the moment. So, uh, like you said, he, he he deserves it. He deserves to start. And, and, I mean, if he comes out and just struggles and, and regresses, then you've got two capable quarterbacks to put in there. But until that happens, then there there isn't a need to really be uh, – have your stomach in knots about it. Right. And and, and, and that's where I am. And, and, and uh, 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 as I stumble over my word, uh, words here – Yes, I am optimistic. But you you got to think, not only because if you talk to folks that cover the team in depth last year, there wasn't really a consideration that Johnson was going to play. It's not like he had been groomed to be, you know, we were going to run dual quarterbacks and all that kind of stuff. You know, last year it was Barker's team. That's what, how we were constructed. That's how – the mindset was that it was going to be Drew's team and, 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 you know, he won it. He was his team and whatever. And what I think 
is pretty remarkable. When you look at how Kentucky changed everything on the fly, I mean, I, I know that Kentucky football doesn't move the needle nationally, but if, if Coach Stoops and company had done this at a, at a more named football program, there would have been a lot of talk about what an amazing job it was to lose your starting quarterback and totally revamp your offense. I mean, to totally just – because they were airing the ball out last year to get up big against other Miss. That was – it was air raid. That was what people were selling. That, that, that's what they were selling. That's what people kind of wanted. That's what we were looking at. Well, all of a sudden – in, in the span of a week, you reframe that, you go to Alabama, you play tough, and then the next thing you know, boom, you're, you're, you're winning games that ordinarily you wouldn't win. So for my money, let Steven Johnson, let, as the kids say, let him live his life. Let him go out and, 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 and compete. Now, I don't know. I'm saying he's on a short leash. I'm not, and, and Coach Stoops has not said that. Uh, let me be clear on that. But I just think that there's this notion of, you know, if things aren't looking great, you know, to start off uh, against Southern Miss, that, you know, Barker's going to start warming up. I think that's just a bad uh, – I think that's just a bad message to send at this at this point. Uh, because we know Steven can struggle. We've seen it. But, you know, man – Rewatch that Louisville tape, the Tennessee tape. Yeah, there were some there's some correctable things. And if you are like me and you're optimistic and you assume that he has improved, he's had a whole off season to kind of be QB one and 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 go through that process and work in the off season with the coaches, have those sessions that we know are key, you know, off season sessions with his receivers and, and all that. I, I expect him to make a leap. I expect him to, to kind of make that jump and, and, and go from there. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming from on that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it looks, you know, anything can happen, but it looks like that, that progression can be made across the board, you know, uh, from from year one to year two as a unit in Eddie Grant's offense. This was all under the tutelage of a first-year coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And we heard, you know, Coach Stoops and the company talk about how now, and some of the players say they trust the plays now because as good as things went, they were still learning their way. You know, Eddie Grant just came in. Shannon Dawson had just left. So now you got a year under your belt. You got continuity. You got familiarity. He knows the personnel. They know him. So all of that doesn't have to be established this year. So that's that's a positive in their favor. Uh, Benny Snell's a sophomore. He did that as a true freshman. Got thrown in. He got thrown in as well with with Steven Johnson because he didn't play in the first two games. So um, a lot. And the thing I'm looking for the most would be. Just the, just the receivers, you know, we you hate to see Dorian Baker go down. You still got some, some veteran guys there. You got a lot of new guys as well. 
but how do they, you know, continue to roll as a unit? Blake Bone is kind of in that same boat as Dorian Baker. You know, the eye test definitely passes, but still hadn't quite put it all together just yet. Um, he's kind of maybe poised in a senior year to do big things, same way Dorian Baker was, which unfortunately uh, he was lost to injury in the scrimmage. But how do these receivers come together? Who steps up? You remember maybe two years ago, three years ago, drops were just contagious. Third and eight, and you see a pass would have been completed and it was dropped. We've seen maybe that hurdle, you know, be be overcome. So now do they take it to a whole nother level? Uh, and they've got a lot of young, talented guys there. Um, you also have Bidette transfer, so you got to fill his void as well as now that of Baker. But I'm, I'm anxious to see how the receiving core does uh, going forward, too. And they will have another year with Stephen Johnson as well and another summer. Uh, and, of course, hitting the tight end over the middle. Uh, a lot of opportunities missed with Conrad and Johnson. So uh, a lot of things are just right there to make substantial improvements on what we already saw in an improved year last year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I think that that's what we want to see. Uh, I, I'm not sure I want to see Southern Miss get out early and have the Cats try to fight back. I'd like to see a wire-to-wire, maybe not a blowout, but I'd like to see the Cats with a comfortable victory. I, I think that will be and, wonders. Yeah. And for entertainment purposes only, they're like a 10-point favorite on the road. Do Will it be a 10-point game or more? What will the score be if you had to pick? Will they control it start to finish? Oh, wow. Um, well, uh, I, I'm going to say like 35-17. Uh, I, I think that if they can get a little bit of separation, get up by a couple of scores, that way, the offensive line can just say we're going to run this ball and take it and take it home. Uh, I think that works out. Uh, I, I think that works for the Cats' favor. Uh, uh, yeah, out in the Cats' uh, uh, favor there. And, and that running the ball really sets up that play action. There you go. If you can get that play action and you can get Conrad in the middle of the field uh, where he can where he can feast. I think that's going to be a huge, uh, a huge boost as well, because it's it's been a while since we've had a really really good tight end, uh, and that's a you know that's a quarterback's best friend there in the passing game is if you got a tight end that can go get those tough catches for you, you know we we've seen tight ends be be game changers at the college and the pro level, so um, I, I think this year we're going to see C.J. Conrad put up some. Some, some some bigger numbers than, than he has. So, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, 35-17, thereabouts, uh, a comfortable, uh, a good, comfortable win on the road. I was in the similar neighborhood. I was going 31-14. to 14, um, And, you know, 
the chance to, to finish what they started last year. I mean, they had 35 at the half <laughs> last year. Um, there was different personnel and things of that nature going into this year. But if they are able to control the game and get some separation, we will see Drew Barker get in. They would like for him to play. I'm not sure at what point they would like for him to play. But they would like for him to play as in a get-your-feet-wet situation, get-yourself-back-on-the-field situation since it's been a year since you were injured. Uh, I don't think they're hoping to put him in as a replace Stephen Johnson because he's not doing well situation. But if it plays out like that and they have controlled the game and they have separated, then they can get him in towards the end. Uh, for some series, just to, you know, like Freddie Raggett says, if you, if you need it, you got to take a hit. He hasn't taken a hit. He plays quarterback. He's coming off back surgery. He's going to take a hit at some point. So how is he going to hold up? If it plays out that Kentucky's able to handle business and, and, you know, put this one in the win column, finish it, play a full, complete game, and, and finish it, then I see maybe Drew getting in. Uh, to finish it up at the end, to kind of knock some rust off of him. But and and that's what we want to see is is Kentucky get to the point where you can compete with the top of the SEC. But the part of that is when you're playing a Conference USA school, win comfortably. It, it's 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 yeah. that progression, and that's what we like to see as well. Yeah you know, competing against the Alabamas and, you know, LSUs or whatnot, that's good, and we want to win those every now and then. But I think more, most Kentucky fans, when you talk to them, it's it's the head-scratching losses, those games that can go either way, you know, like South Carolina last year, you know, Vanderbilt has been one of those games. Win those. You win those games you're supposed to win. Next thing you know, you're at four or five wins, you know, win a couple other games, and now you're at seven or eight wins. And I, and I think that is a great progression uh, of the program. That's why I really liked that Missouri game last year. It was just, we are going to push you around. We are going to run you into the ground. That, that's the kind of thing <laughs> that we need to do. Uh, and we've seen that over the years. We can talk about the streak to Tennessee, the streak to Florida, but it's been these weird Losing to a Mississippi State, you're like, what? I mean, it's just it's just been these weird games that that kind of trip uh, the cats up. And I would definitely like to see them take care of business in those games. Definitely, definitely. Let's get us a, another quick break, catch our breath, come back, talk some more UK football, as well as what Coach Cal is doing to help everybody out down in Houston who have been victimized by Hurricane Tropical Storm Harvey, as well as our thoughts on NBA, NFL, and more, and lots of U.K. football, as it is the last weekend without football in earnest. We had some football last weekend. Starting this coming weekend, we'll have football in earnest from now into well into 2018 when the Super Bowl concludes. This is Cats Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy and Terry Brown. Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Stay right with us. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
Wednesday had myself muted. Cats Talk Wednesday, Benny Hardy, Terry Brown, talking tons of UK football at Cats Talk Wednesday, 845-277-9373 at Cats Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. Feel free to interact with us in any of those measures. Um, Number one fan, Michelle Brown, Michelle Morton responded rather listening Via the couch, wrapped up in a blanket while watching uh, all on TV, kind of the devastation of everything in Houston. So she, on the roll call, she responded, 
she is at home on her couch listening to the show. We always appreciate Michelle tuning in, hitting us up on Twitter, throwing us different links about sporting uh, topics and stuff uh, throughout the week. So we appreciate Michelle Morton for that. And speaking of the devastation in Houston, we've seen many come together to uh, send help and relief physically and monetarily. Um, UK basketball and Coach Cal are doing that once again. Uh, Terry, we saw in the past uh, the hoops for Haiti when the earthquake was down there. Uh, similar situation now with a telethon scheduled for Sunday called Teaming Up for Texas. Uh, Tina Cox put an article up on CameronMillsRadio.com with some of the details about um, how it's going to take place. It's going to be 3.30 to 6.30. WKYT is going to carry it, as well as all the other affiliates throughout the state of Kentucky. Uh, Going to be several different guests to come in and be a part of the show. Uh, UKAthletics.com, CoachCal.com, UK Coach Calipari and Kentucky basketball Twitter accounts will also be involved, so they'll give you ways to see it, donate, and, and watch the telethon. Uh, Cal talks about how it kind of hit home because a lot of players, recent players, to come through and play for the Cats are from there. The Harrison Twins are from down there. De'Aaron right. Fox is from there. Jared Vanderbilt, who we will see this coming year, is from down there. So they no doubt have family and friends and uh, areas affected where their childhoods were spent that have been directly affected by the events from uh, Harvey and the aftermath and the still not out of the woods yet because the storm won't move. Is Louisiana is kind of filling in again as well. Um, the waters did go down, but there's still a long way to go uh, as they continue to have to drain off. And we've got friends of the show uh, Kurt Lowe, who came on and talked Houston Rockets with us. He is down there in Houston. A Kentucky fan, Brian in Houston, who listens to the show on Twitter, is down there in Houston. Um, so we, we definitely are concerned and worried about everybody there. Friends of my family have grown up with are down there. Kim Mackey is there, Franklin Callaway, all from little Kentucky where I'm from, are down there in the Houston area. Uh, so Everybody who knows anybody and everybody who's down there still in a shelter or trying to be rescued is just unbelievable and heartbreaking. The, the photos that we've seen come from all the devastation. And, and yes, uh, just uh, you, you can't see those pictures and not be moved. You, you can't see the just the 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 people in the shelters and just lit, I mean there was a tweet I retweeted from the National Weather Service just talking about this particular storm and it was like it was out of a Michael Bay movie I mean it is just the the language being used is just it's beyond catastrophic it just and you can't even comprehend it with what what these folks are going through uh, but there's that that quote that gets passed around in times like this that uh, is attributed to uh, Mr. Rogers. I don't know how true it is, but it's pretty much a paraphrase of what my dad always told me is that when there are bad things that happen, and there are, 
don't look at the bad things. Look at the good that, that people are doing. And just for example, I'm not the biggest J.J. Watt fan, but to see what mm-hmm. he's doing, uh, last I checked, he was up to his $5 million goal, and every goal he hits, he's, he's let's, let's push it, let's push it again. So I, I think, like I said, last time I saw he's at $5 million, pushing for six. Uh, but but that, is what, that is what we do as a people, as, as Americans, as humans. Is, is help each other out, uh, you know. When, but it's just so devastating for a city the size of Houston to to go through that. And the pictures that we're seeing, it, it's like it's out of a, like you expect to see from around the world. It's 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 right back to Katrina, uh, Hurricane Sandy, the hur- the the uh, the earthquake in Haiti. It's just these these pictures. It's mind boggling. And that's one thing I'm glad that, that Cal is, is, is going to do with the team, as they have done before, is let's, let's raise some money. Let's do some right kinds of things to help out as much as we can. Uh, so, but it's, 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 it's just overwhelming, uh, I think, you know, because of Houston size. Everybody's got connections, like you're talking about. You know, you've got you've got connections down there. You know people that are affected. And then, you know, I, I saw something I hadn't thought about. A lot of the people that left New Orleans during Katrina, where did they go? Houston. And, yeah. and, and yeah. your mind is like, oh, my God. You know, th- th- for that group of mm. folks to have been through two of these, oh, my dear God. I, yeah. it, it's just – it's almost overwhelming uh, – but what I, I like to say is the, the right now that it's on the news, that's good. And I want to, you know, I've donated. Uh, I'm glad that the cow's doing the fundraiser and all these other folks are as well. But these places, like New Orleans is still being rebuilt from Katrina, you know, and we're 10 years out. You know, we're more than 10 years out. There's going to be some mm-hmm. infrastructure needs, and, and particularly with uh, the area of Houston uh, – close to where they opened up those dams to kind of relieve that a little bit. They're supposed to be underwater for like two months. Oh my, I mean, yeah. that is a, that is a, a, a rebuild. Uh, and they're talking about, you know, it's still going to get warm and we all know about warm water as it's kind of sitting and being stagnant and those health issues, there's going to be an impact for years, if not into the next decade to come for Houston. And and I just hope that we continue to do that uh, as they try to rebuild. So I I think I'm like everybody else. You're shocked. You're overwhelmed. You're sad. And and your heart goes out. Uh, I know you're a father like I am, especially. This gets you in the – it punches you when you see the the kids and and then, you know, the parents and family, you know, getting the babies and the kids out. There's a picture of the, the, the folks in the retirement home. I mean that stuff hits you. I yeah. mean, th- mm-hmm. that 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 just hits you. And I'm not, I'm man enough to say, look, man, I saw some of stuff, and I'm crying because it hits you. You know, you, yeah. and, and you, especially you know with with the kids, and you think what you would do in that situation for your kid. It, it's just it, it's mind blowing. But I, I do like that. You know, the Cajun Navy with their boats, they're they're coming in. This is what we do. Yeah. This is this is what Americans do, and, and this this is to me is more American than anything else. 
it's the response to devastation. Um, that that is what makes me really proud to be an American. Is that we may fight amongst each other, and we do, and it's usually over stupid stuff. But when you know your back is against the wall, you know it's it's we are all American, and I'm off my soapbox about that. But it's just a devastating situation. Yes, it definitely is. Um, and there's no smooth segue, but um, we'll segue to lighter things. Eight four five two seven seven. Nine three seven three at Cats Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. Appreciate everybody tuning in on Facebook Live. And if you want to hear other people besides me for the full conversation, go to blogtalkradio.com slash Cats Talk. You can also hear what Terry Brown is saying. You will also have heard Jason Munns, our guest, when he was on to talk about Southern Miss. Uh, if you missed all that, you can, of course, go to the same Link blogtalkradio.com slash catstalk. Catch the podcast anytime you like. Uh, also, check it out on Stitcher. Uh, search for Cat Talk Wednesday there. Uh, and you get any show we've done, uh, as well as tonight's show and shows in the future as well. And like I mentioned last week, and I'll have to let you know, we got a, we got a big guest that's going to be an honor uh, to have on with us coming up in September, somewhere along the middle of September. Uh, <clears throat> And we've had guests like that in the past. It's an honor to talk to every one of our guests. But then when you have uh, 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 Dick Vitale, uh, Derek Ramsey, or Sonny Collins, uh, this guest is kind of like that. Uh, Nothing but respect for when we can have this gentleman on. So uh, I have to let you know what's going down, and hopefully we can have him on in a couple weeks or so. Um, Prior to the news about the telethon we saw I saw Coach Cal tweeted out first and I know others did as well. But a, a coaching legend, uh, a great human being, a big personality from a little man passed away today. And I'm talking about Roly Massimino, uh whose crowning achievement college basketball wise happened at Rupp Arena in the last second TV when his Villanova Wildcats knocked off Patrick Ewing, John Thompson, and Georgetown uh, in the 1985 National Championship game. Before they started going to bigger venues, they pretty much played a perfect second half against the Hoyas. Uh, of course, they were Big East rivals, and, you know, anybody's seen the record for the Big East 30 for 30, if you're like us, you even knew about it a little bit coming up as kids. But, you know, St. John's, Syracuse, Georgetown, Villanova, uh, Coach Massimino and Ed Pitney went toe-to-toe with Georgetown and lived to tell about it uh, and and got the better of them that afternoon, that evening in Rupp Arena to, cram, to claim the national championship ground. Yeah, and... and... I, I feel kind of uh, like this has been beaten to death a little bit, but 30 for 30s are awesome. I haven't seen a bad one. Uh, but the record for no. the Big East, uh, you know, we talk about SEC football, uh, you know, uh, now, and, you know, maybe on the decline a little bit, but being at the top, Big East basketball was ridiculously good. And that 85 final four, 
three of three Final Four teams, that's that's pretty good. You you and you look at those teams and the names that they had in those the, at those in the mid eighties. You know, with with Syracuse and Georgetown, and and you had coaches with personality, uh, and and Massimino was one of those, and uh, just. When you talk about underdog stories, and you, you, you have to put those '85 Villanova Wildcats up there, uh, you know. Uh, so it's, it's a it's a sad day, you know. Like I said, larger than life personality, uh, a perfect fit for the Big East at that point in time. Massimino, Carnesecca, Bayheim. I mean, that's a murderous row of, of coaches. It's like, where do you get in? Where you fit in? You know. So uh, definitely uh, hate to hate to see that. You know, harkens back to when you and I come came of age, and, and pretty much that Villanova '85, Louisville '86 is when I kind of uh, you know second and third grade kind of figured out what was going on with basketball. Uh, so that was that was right there. And uh, as you point out, to have it take place in Rupp, uh, that that's a huge huge. Uh, memory for for that facility on top of all the Kentucky memories. So uh, hey, it's it's a good place to be a Wildcat. I'd, I'd say definitely, definitely. Now switching to the NFL, you know, seen this before, been there, done that, so to speak. Vontaze Burfitt and a nasty hit. We saw it in the preseason against the Chiefs. He wasn't flagged, but they reviewed it and gave him six games. That has since been reduced to three. But and the Bengals say if it wasn't perfect, nobody would be saying anything. But it is, and we've seen his track record. That's like saying Rasheed Wallace, if it wasn't Sheed, he wouldn't get teed up. Well, it was Sheed. And he would always kind of push it and get himself teed up. You know, once you get slapped with that label, if you continue to even remotely live up to the billing of the label, then this is going to happen. So, um, where did you come out on this hit? Even though it wasn't a flag in live action, a guy with a track record making a hit, pass wasn't thrown to the running back that he laid out. They they went deep on this particular play. And he says it was legal. I hit him in the shoulder, wasn't in the head. Your thoughts on all that? Uh, like you said, your your reputation precedes you. Uh, for those listening to the show and those that have know me in in real life, uh, obviously those people that have listened thus far tonight know that I am a talker. I have been a talker from preschool on up. My voice <laughs> tends to carry. My voice is loud. So what would happen to a young TB is even those times I wasn't talking, the teacher would hear somebody and her eyes would immediately go to me. (laughs) Now, I would get upset about that, and I would go home and I would tell Mama and Papa Brown, hey, I think the teacher's picking on me. Why is it that she thinks every time somebody's talking – she immediately comes to me, and my dad said, looked me in my eyes and said, son, 
that's that's when I knew my dad was going to give me a life lesson. It was always son, because <laughs> most of the time you are doing the talking. So I tell that to say when you start getting into the technicality of was it an illegal hit? Was it not an illegal hit? When you start to get into that, your reputation, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. You don't get that, I didn't know. You have been penalized. You have been suspended. You have been fined for hits that were way over the line. So that comes with it. If you want to play with that kind of edge, it, it's, it's part of it. Uh, I don't know if you want to say, is, is he a dirty player or whatnot? But no, I mean, that's just the way it goes. Just like we talk about in the NBA with Draymond Green, he's lost the benefit of the doubt. He's lost the ability yeah. to say, well, you know, my arms is flailing and my legs and my this. <laughs> Look, you, you've lost that. You know, it's just uh, when when you look when you, when you talk about like you know Dennis Rodman when he played and he's flailing all over the place like Draymond. You don't get the benefit of the doubt. You you just don't. Uh, that's just the way it is. I mean, you can you can fight it. You can be mad. Well, if it was anybody else, but it wasn't. This is you again. Just like Young TB. Getting in trouble for talking, it, 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 that's the way it is. And, and Bengals fans can say, oh, they're picking on him. To an extent, I get that. But you can't even put yourself in that situation. You, you just can't do it. And so by, by doing that, um, you open yourself up to that. Because like I said, you, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. It's just that simple. Definitely. And <laughs> I'm not a Bengals fan, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe this won't even matter. But the Bengals, Vontez Burpee is a linebacker. The Bengals traded a linebacker, Marquise Flowers, who played mostly special teams, to the Patriots. Like you know, right about the same time this happened, and. Burfick was at the time going to be suspended for six games. It's been reduced to three. Look, I, you're going to be without him, and you, you know when you get him back, you might be without him again because you know he's he's, he's going to make these hits on these guys and get himself suspended. You you know that as soon as Cincinnati makes this trade, this Flowers kid is going to be like defensive player of the year. Not once he goes to New England, and Cincinnati's going to trade him when one of their starting linebackers is going to be suspended. It, I mean, it didn't make sense to me. Even if you're not, you know, he might be a weak side linebacker and, and you know, play a different position than Burfitt. I don't care he's a linebacker, and we know Burfitt can get himself suspended. Watch this kid blow up in New England. And, you know, here's Cincinnati's going to be short on some linebackers. It, it would just be, I mean, it's just the way stuff goes. You know, everybody goes to New England. It just won't surprise me if that happens. So I just thought it was funny. They're going to trade a linebacker as soon as one of their starting linebackers got hit with a suspension, and they're going to trade him to the Patriots of all teams. 
the the Bengals have just are, are a weird <laughs> state, and they they've been in a weird state uh, for a while. You know, they were terrible. You know, they went through that you know what two decade stretch of just being abysmal. But now they're in that weird, mediocre eight and eight, nine and seven, get to the playoffs, lose in the first round kind of thing. And and this is, it's a, that's we talked about that before. That's kind of the worst place to be in, you know, particularly in the NFL and the NBA. Uh, it's like if you're Cincinnati, how do you make a move to get to the next level? Are you Able to to bring guys in that can you you can make that jump. Uh, so a lot of their decisions are made really to maintain the status quo. And <laughs> I, I know a lot of Bengals fans uh, are are I've, I've talked to a few and I'm like, well, you know, it just wasn't that long ago you guys were terrible. And I had yeah. a, a friend of mine that tell me he said, yo, this is worse. What's worse mm. is making <laughs> making the playoffs and and just looking completely bad that first game, and just mm-hmm. coming up with different ways to lose from Carson Palmer getting his knee kind of destroyed against yeah. the Steelers so many years yeah. ago, and just you know it's it's not even mediocre; it's average to slightly above average, and. And he said to me, it's not like when they lose, you know, they're losing to the Texans or to the Titans. He said, I could understand if they got to the playoffs and you lose to Tom Brady. That's going to happen. Yeah. Or, you know, you lose to uh, Ben Roethlisberger and the uh, Steelers. Okay, I can understand that. Or even, you know, before Peyton Manning retired, he's like, but we're losing to, like, the Texans. And he said, I can't remember their starting quarterback's name. I mean, that's <laughs> that's kind of where <laughs> we are. So I, I can understand the frustration because if your team is a two-win, three-win team, you can just say we're garbage and we're going to move on. But the Bengals, and I, and I hate to bring this up, I'm not trying to rub salt in your wounds, but the Cowboys can go 8-8 eight eight, eight and, eight and still stay relevant and still have sizzle. There's always something with the Cowboys that will draw you in. Right or wrong, that's just the way it is. Uh, even the Dave Campo team, there's always some kind of drama the Cowboys can bring in. The Bengals at 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and and there's, no, there's no sizzle to that. There's no – and they haven't done themselves any favor by bringing in a Patman Jones, maintaining Burfick without doing anything to really kind of rectify that. Uh, they bring in uh, uh, Mixon from Oklahoma and all his baggage. And it's like yeah. a lot of people are just turned off by the Bengals. So I just don't know how they make that leap. And, and, and it, I, I don't know where they go from here to kind of get, to kind of get better. And, Marvin Lewis, you know, despite all that, is kind of safer than most coaches would be in that situation because the owner, Mike Brown, knows how trashy they were before Marvin got there. 
even though they're kind of in purgatory now. And like you said, there's fans who just wish they would go back to just getting flat out destroyed instead of just getting to the playoffs and then one and done. That's kept Marvin safe. You know, he, all these years, five, six years in a row, get to the playoffs and, and then, you know, get dismantled. It's still, I guess, in their minds, we're so much better than we were that we can't make a move on this guy. So that's kind of kept him safe. If he's in another city, if he's, I mean, if he's in Dallas, if he's with the Giants or, you know, some other places he might not have lasted this long doing the same thing over and over and over again and get the same result come the postseason. So, I don't know. Maybe this well, year will be different, but, uh, you know, you just you, you, you won't know until it happens. And, and that's exactly right. I think you, you see these guys, and, and I think probably the poster child for that, how does he maintain it, was Jeff Fisher. Uh, and, and I don't mean to dance on his grave or whatnot, but outside of that Super Bowl run with the Titans, he's a 500 or worse coach. It's, it's like how you know. It's it, I, I don't understand how they can hang around. But I, it, I think it's all about kind of what team you get with, yeah, and and the sure. ex, and the expectations. Like again, not to pick on your Cowboys. But even though they were going eight and eight and nine and seven, all that, Jerry was trying to get it done. You know, he wasn't bringing the same people in that was the problem. Results. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I get that. He wouldn't let, and, and he wouldn't let his son. He wouldn't let his son help him get it done. If you step over, and let Steven do that, Jerry. That's, that was the problem. <laughs> but I think being in Cincinnati, and and really with. Uh, uh, Mike Brown, the owner, can always say, "Well, it, you know, we were terrible. Yeah, we're, we're no, we're no longer terrible, but mm-hmm. I, that can only go on for so long, because yeah. yeah, you you were terrible, but now you're stuck in this mediocre vortex. You you, you have to do something to get over the hump, and we talked about that." With your Rockets, when they made a push to get to get Chris Paul, I think fans are smart enough to look at the landscape in these leagues today. And you want a GM or an owner that's going to take a few chances, not a Joe Mixon type chance, but take a few chances and 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 try to shake things up. You just can't be too comfortable with the way things are and say, well, you know, it could be worse. Well, no, I mean, yeah, it could be, but we remember those days, but you've got to do something to uh, get the fan base excited. And I know uh, we're armchair quarterback in here, and there's not a lot of moves the Bengals, I think, can make. It's not a sizzle destination, you know, for a big-time free agent or anything like that. So they've got to be very uh, mindful of how they do things. But I think the biggest thing you can do, and I'm not wishing for anybody to lose their job, but it, it might take a different voice in the locker room at some point. We have yeah. seen that happen. I, I think when you look at, and I, I 
I know this comes with a little asterisk about, uh, well, of course he had Michael Jordan, but you look at the Bulls not being able to get past Detroit for all those years with Doug Collins. You bring in Phil Jackson, a different voice. Again, I understand Michael Jordan, but we've seen that before. Again, uh, Phil Jackson and my Lakers, you know, basically, you know, uh, in 1998, the Lakers get swept by the Jazz uh, in the uh, conference finals. In 1999, I want to say they lost maybe in the, in the second round. So basically same unit, you know, Phil comes in, hey, three-peat. And, and again, Phil yep. and, and having Shaq and Kobe, I get that. My point just being that sometimes you just need a different voice. We, we hear that a lot when teams make moves. But I think the Bengals are kind of the poster children for not making any moves, for, for, for yeah. standing pat, and, and that window closes. I know we spent a lot of and time here on the Bengals, but what <laughs> – go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. And I was, was going to just say one quick thing, and then I'll – got to stay in the ASC North, but it, it won't be the Bengals. But uh, – you know, sometimes apathy comes too quickly for a fan base. We hear it at, you know, even a place like Kentucky football. You know, if they go seven and five, oh, you know, and get the bowl games, that's great. They should build a statue for Mark Stoops or for Rich Brooks. And then you see seven and five for a few years, and then you still see the interest maybe wane a little bit. Marvin's case is maybe a little bit different. First of all, you're professional. You're getting paid, and the players are too, not just the coach. And it has been just a long run of the same old thing. Um, So sometimes apathy can come a little bit too quickly, maybe more so in college at a place where you don't have tradition. But I, I still would think if I'm a Bengals fan, you know, Marvin's had plenty of time to maybe make that jump. You can beat the Texans one of those times when you get to the playoffs. Just, you can't beat them once. So, you know, maybe this year will be different. We shall see. A lot of people maybe wonder if Andy Dalton is the guy. What would A.J. Green do if he had a, maybe a quarterback that was a little bit more elite? We've heard that before. And we also know what? the boneheaded off-the-field stuff that a lot of those guys do. And that's that's on them because they brought a lot of those guys in, Pac-Man, Burfick. Frosty Rucker, and that's just that's their draft. You know, they chose to do that, so you know they they got to look in the mirror and all that too. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm right on the same page with you uh, with that. And you know, I do apologize bringing your your Cowboys into the discussion. I, I, I it was, uh, it was uh, I apologize about that. It, it was it was understandable, and as far as Burfitt goes, at some point you you got to kind of change your game. I'm going to bring a Niner legend into it. And I thought he might have been quoted as saying he couldn't play today. And that would be Ronnie Lott, another headhunter, another guy who would light you up. As my dad would like to say, he would knock your head off. But I I do believe if Ronnie Lott was playing today or had his career started prior to these rules, I believe he would have been smart enough to probably change his games to where he can lay guys out without getting penalized and suspended and fined for it. That's just me. 
maybe he wouldn't, but I think he could have. Well, yeah, you, you, you play in the era that you play in, right? You have to play by those rules. And by yeah. the rules way back then, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you could beat up guys and, and whatnot. But you have to be smart enough to to know I've got to change. Uh, like I finally did. I stopped talking in class as much. So you know, yeah. lesson, lesson learned on, on, on that. Absolutely. Keeping it real quick in the ASC North, go from Cincinnati and head on up 71 to Cleveland, and you have Joe Hayden, cornerback from Florida, been up there for a while, uh, talented player. The Browns have been shopping him, have been trying to trade him uh, due to maybe durability and injuries, also salary, you know, at that you get everybody gets to that point where, you know, their salary becomes their own undoing and, you know, teams are trying to clear space and all that. So they had been shopping him, shopping him, shopping him on the trade blocks, et cetera, et cetera. And today <laughs> Cleveland cuts him. They cut Joe Hayden. I was like, huh, okay, so they're done shopping him. And apparently Joe Hayden said, thank you, on the way out the door. Joe Hayden turns right around and is uh, in the process of signing <laughs> with the Steelers. And who plays each other week one? Pittsburgh comes to Cleveland. I mean, if I mean, you talk about wanting to just stick it to somebody. We already talked about Shannon Dawson. We've seen examples of this in the past. Players return to where they used to play at, and so on and so forth. He goes to the division rival, you know, that, that Cleveland-Pittsburgh rivalry. The cities are very close in proximity. It's one-sided on the football field. Joe walked right out the door and went to that black and gold. And you know he can't wait for week one. Um, and, and he'll probably get the last laugh from now on for the, as long as he stays in Pittsburgh when it comes to playing the Browns. Cleveland, ever since they came back, it's it's one of those what what are you doing? Uh, you know, and, and, you know, from I know they drafted our guy Tim Couch, and uh, there's all kinds of things you can say about his run there. But I think the the biggest thing with Cleveland is what are they doing? What what kind of game plan? Do they have from the from a management perspective? And I, I don't think that they I don't think they have one. When you look at teams that are really really good year in year out, yes, you know if you want to call it luck or, or whatnot in the draft, uh, but they have a front office that works with the coaching staff for a vision of what they want to do. And with Cleveland, you never, ever know. You know, it's it's like, and a friend of mine said it best, it's like Cleveland is playing, you know, Madden uh, on the dynasty mode or whatnot, but they reset it every year. Like one move (laughs) does not have any connection to the next move. And you look at coaches 
that they, you know, they give them a year or two, you know, players that they bring in. What is going on? And for such a proud franchise, you know, pre-Super Bowl, you know, I think they've got four or five uh, NFL championships, and, and they've got Otto Graham, of course, Jim Brown, and just – but since they came back into the league, I think in 95 it was, or thereabouts, or was that when they – I can't remember. I'm getting old. But since they've come back, it's just been dreadful. When you think about Cleveland teams, and I know the the Indians haven't won since, you know, 54, but they've been in the World Series. They were in the World Series last year. And you see what the Cavaliers are doing. Yeah. And, and, and the Browns uh, are kind of afterthought. And we can make fun of Cleveland on the outside looking in, but you know, in the late eighties, early nineties, uh, into the nineties, you know, the Indians with Kenny Lofton and Albert Bell, they were fun to watch, you know, reaching the World Series in ninety seven. The the Cavaliers were playoff perennial teams and you know, we've seen Jordan's shots over various Cavaliers all through the uh, the years. <laughs> Uh, but the Browns, you know, of course you got the drive and the fumble. Those Bernie Kosar teams were really, really good. And I yeah. uh, submit to you this. We all know about Tecmo Bowl Jackson, right? But oh, yeah. Tecmo Bowl Kevin Mack wasn't that bad. Like if you had <laughs> That's to get Bo, get Kevin Mack. <laughs> I mean, so <laughs> for Cleveland to be this kind of clueless, for so long, it's just you, you, it's like you couldn't be this bad if you tried. That that's the kind of thing. So speaking of Cleveland, I know you you wanted to segue into this. Yeah, boy. The trade, <laughs> the, the, the trade that is or isn't or, uh, or whatnot. So yeah, go ahead. Might be. go ahead and segue into that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you know, still in the air. Who knows? You know, we we talked last week about the blockbuster because it was the last sports bureau talked about two point guards, two all star point guards averaging over twenty five a game, had never been traded for one another. And that's what we thought we had last week. We Kyrie Irving going to Boston, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, uh Zivich and a first round pick, unprotected first round pick going to Cleveland. We thought, wow. We thought that was the big news because it happened Tuesday, boom, out of the blue. And, whoa, took everybody by surprise. That and along, you know, with the Mayweather fight was the biggest topics of the week and all that. And so we thought, okay, that's over and done with now. And we see it not get completed because of Isaiah Thomas's physical because of the hip the aggravated hip injury that he had that forced him to miss a lot of the conference finals games against Cleveland, gets to Cleveland, and Cleveland's not particularly enthused about what they're seeing and hearing about Isaiah Thomas' hip. And so they're like, let's revisit this. (laughs) Why don't y'all give us y'all's number one pick this year? Former Duke wingman Jason Tatum. If we can't have him, give us something else. 
Isaiah Thomas is damaged. Isaiah Thomas says, I'm not damaged. I might not be back when y'all thought I was coming back, but I'm going to be the same player when I come back. And it's just a mess and a half now. Cleveland is wanting more because, you know, they feel that, you know, Isaiah's injury is a little more severe than they want. So that's kind of where we are now. And, wow, it's just it's just super juicy now. <laughs> There's so many losers in this. I don't know if you get a winner out of this, honestly. Because now people are going to know. And, and for real, my, my heart breaks for Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, playing with the, you know, playing with the death of his sister and, and obviously – uh, that that's an issue. You know, I get that a hundred percent, but for now it's out there that he's damaged goods. So he's looking to make that big payday right on his, on that next contract. But now who is going to even Boston included who's with this being out here, who's going to, Pay that big money. That, that that I think this this kind of cost him a lot of money off what he could potentially have made. So that's an issue. You look at the front offices and and how do if the trade is called off, how do they go back to even trying to start the season with guys you tried to get rid of? I mean, it's one thing to have rumors and, uh, you know, so-and-so was involved in trade talks. That's one thing. But the trade went through. It it led not just our show. It was everywhere, you know, the winners and the losers and this, that. It's how do you recover from that, and really how does – does, does Boston have to add somebody? Do they have to meet Cleveland's demands? Because Cleveland can find – I think they can find some other suitors for Kyrie. But but how does Boston try to uh, regroup and, and, and get ready for the next season with, with, a, with uh, Isaiah Thomas kind of feeling a certain way? How do you come back from that? So uh, I don't I don't know that you can, and, and the reason I kind of I'm just thinking about that is I saw a clip on Facebook, you know, videos pop up, but it was of James Harden talking about uh, leaving Oklahoma City and how devastated he was to get traded. Now look at the success he's had in Houston, but still getting traded was still devastating. And he, you know, still something he thinks about. So how does Isaiah Thomas come back into the Boston fold? It's just a, it's a complicated, convoluted situation. It's one of those things you don't think about when trades go through the physicals and all that kind of stuff. But that's that's part of it. So there's just a lot to unpack. I think they've got until tomorrow at some point to to regroup and try to get this thing together. Yeah, and Patrick Patterson did a piece, I think it's for the Players' Tribune, 
about the dynamics of getting traded. You know, he was drafted. He was with my Rockets. Then he went to Sacramento and then to Toronto. Uh, and now he's with the Thunder, but he's not with them as a free agent. But just all of that stuff that we don't see that is involved, and they have to go through every time they're traded. Um, and it, it just kind of detailed all of that other stuff. We just see it as, okay, change uniform, change city, change system, change coach, blah, blah, blah. All of the other stuff from a human being standpoint, when you have to pick up and move, <laughs> they have to deal with that as well. And, and he did a nice piece on that uh, a few years back. But, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it is. It's just, especially for Isaiah Thomas, um, just like you said, just, Everybody's just dissing. He's getting dissed from every direction. Uh, and no doubt, he's a chip on his shoulder type guy anyway, just from the size standpoint. Everybody was doubting him. Uh, and now you have all this. Now both teams are, are doubting him. And, and so you definitely feel sorry for everything that he's been having to deal with uh, since the season ended. Well, yeah. And, and, you, and you think about. Uh... With with Isaiah, you know, being, you know, five nine, I think is what they list him as, but but durability is always an issue with little guys, which I think was what yeah. made Allen Iverson's run all that more remarkable. If you are a normal size human, which five nine, uh, I think is the average height for a male, I think. But if you're an average size human, and you're banging around with these bigger guys. I think that that is going to take its toll. And if that hip injury is lingering, um, man, I, 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 woo. I, like I said, I think that just the specter of this has really impacted him more than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows who's going to blink first or will it all fall apart? Will Boston add even more to sweeten the deal? It's kind of hard to see that happening because they gave up quite a bit as it is. But, uh, I mean, the season starts in less than two months. Uh, It's been moved up to start earlier than normal, so it's all going to come at us fast, and we'll know pretty soon what's going to happen. I, I I think if, if I'm Danny Ainge, you have to. I, I think he adds a little bit to it to get it done. That's just my feeling. I know that they're already giving up a lot. I, I think they're going to have to give up Tatum, and and it's going to sink. But I, I know I I, I I get that. But I, woo, <laughs> uh, I, I think that that they're going to have to get this this deal done, and that's just my. I have no inside information. I have no, obviously, no sources. Uh, but I think that that is, um, that's just my feeling that the, uh, the Celtics get it done. But Danny Ainge has got to save face a little bit. And uh, all that means is Cleveland with IT at Boston has become, I don't know what's beyond must-see TV, but that game becomes that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. 
for sure. Um, Got to switch to baseball real quick, and, you know, the season hasn't gone that well, but got to throw our congratulations to two Atlanta Braves, Nick Markakis, who did it a few weeks ago, and now Brandon Phillips, who did it today. Both of them uh, got their 2,000th hits this year as a member of the Atlanta Braves. Phillips, long time since Natty Red, uh, first year in Atlanta. He's from Atlanta, got his 2,000 hits today in a 9-1 win over the Phillies in Philadelphia, so congratulations there. And the frustrating thing for the Braves, <laughs> they're 59-72, and 72, uh, 12 games back, I think, for the second wild card. But the Phillies are dead last, like 10 games behind Atlanta, but yet the Phillies are 12-4 and four against the Braves. I mean, if you flip that around, and, you know, Atlanta's dominated uh, the Phillies, who they're 10 games ahead of in the standings, they're kind of up in the mix in some of this wild card stuff. They played the Dodgers better than they played the Phillies. Don't have as many games against the Dodgers, but they went head-to-head and toe-to-toe with the Dodgers better than they have with the Phillies. The Phillies have just whooped their butt. Atlanta had to win a double hitter today to get to 4-12 and on the season against the Phillies. They were 2-12 and against Philly coming into today. Uh, it's just those those weird things, how the teams match up in baseball. Um, so, so it's just head-scratching, but that's just how it is. And speaking of, your Oreos are, have gotten hot, and they have kind of put themselves back into the mix to make a little bit of noise. Yeah, they've started to swing the bats real well. Uh, pitching's gotten a little bit better. Uh, with that second wild card spot, obviously that's a that's an opportunity that that hasn't been there uh, in the uh, in the past, uh, which I think is going to add for a little bit of uh, excitement. So yeah, uh, baseball is one of those because there are so many games. You know, each game individually doesn't mean as much as uh, some of the other sports. But you go on a seven and three, eight and two run, you can really change your fortunes in a in a hurry. Uh, a hot streak can really, really uh, do that. And then once you get into the playoffs, and, and particularly you got some some pitchers that you can depend on, uh, we, we've we've seen teams get hot from that wild card spot and and make it to the World Series. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that um, the curse of TB hasn't uh, taken its toll on the Orioles and they can get get back uh, get back to it. And anything that goes beyond 8 o'clock, which we're about to wrap up, blogtalkradio.com slash cattalk. But your Orioles have done just that, exactly what you just said. In their last 10 games, they're 8-2, and two, and they've won seven in a row. So, uh, and looks like if I'm seeing it right, they beat Seattle today 8-7 to seven, uh, and start a series tomorrow with uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. So, they have went out and put themselves right back in the mix. They didn't wait for somebody ahead of them to get cold. It's like, hey, now it's either now or never. You know, it's going to be September on Friday. So you better, you know, position yourself to do something to make that run. And that's exactly what they're doing. So uh, you also have now your baseball team to keep your eye on. Even though most of the summer, neither one of us have done a thing with our favorite team because 
they haven't done much of anything. Like you said, got so many games, you can get yourself going before you run out of time, and that's what Baltimore's done. So hopefully they can keep it up. They're 68 and 65 right now. Um, a game behind, like the Twins, for that second wild card spot. So uh, that's all right. Man. Yeah, you, you you put some pressure on the teams in front of you, and uh, particularly when you can play those teams head-to-head, obviously those are important. But if you can, uh, like I said earlier about Kentucky football, beat beat the teams you're supposed to beat. You know, beat those teams that, that – that, that you need to beat, and then you, you know, you, you go in with some momentum against those other teams. I think that's a a, a great way of, of of getting things done. And they're only <laughs> stranger things that happen. They're only seven and a half games out of first place behind the Red Sox. So I mean, you know, we it's, it's you know chances are a little slim, but I mean, like you said, a hot streak here and there, a hot week. On a cold week by Boston, and, you know, they're right there. So uh, they had the motivation to definitely do it. They played themselves into position, wild card or division. They at least have a shot, and that's all you can ask for. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Put some pressure on those teams in front of you uh, and, and see what happens. And if you get that second wild card, I mean, it's, we kind of it's odd because we kind of got on the Bengals, you know, for just making the playoffs. But getting to the playoffs makes some noise. Uh, you know, stranger things have happened. We we've seen that. I call it pulling an Eli Manning. Uh, getting caught at the end. <laughs> I don't want to get on an Eli tangent, but I got thoughts. But get hot and, and see what happens. I mean, that's pretty much what he has done. So there you go. Absolutely. And two more little things. Our guy, Justin Rowland, switching back to UK football. I saw him on Twitter yesterday, and I responded, and we had a couple tweets back and forth. Another cat that everybody's looking forward to is, of course, Lynn Bowden. Justin Rowland kind of just tweeted out to basically say, no disrespect to Charles Walker. Look, He's looking at Lynn Bowden to be – doing a lot of punt returning for Kentucky this coming season. And I'm like, wow, okay, they're going to throw him back there as a true freshman. I know he's dynamic, and he's one to watch. And he thinks the mentality of the coaching staff is to just go big or go home, and who you put back there return punts, in his mind, in his opinion, speaks volumes as to whether you, you're willing to go big or go home. So he's expecting a lot of Lynn Bowden back there returning punts. Not kickoffs, punts. It may be kickoffs too, but he, he's expecting a lot of him to return punts. And that's what Charles Walker taking one to the house against New Mexico State last year, which was the first time we had seen a special teams touchdown of any kind for Kentucky in a long time. But he's like, no disrespect to Walker, Bowden's going to be the guy. So I'm looking forward to seeing how many returns Bowden gets. and Will Walker get any at all? How will Bowden do when he does get that shot? Uh, and, of course, we know they're going to work him into the offense. And, you know, he was late getting to camp and all that. But we, we know the potential that he has. Uh, 
but you can back there and just catch a punt and then just let your athleticism do work as you learn the playbook. So I'm definitely looking forward to what Bowden is going to do as well. I just forgot to mention that early. Well, and you, and you think about, and I, I, this is where I, I think Derek Abney is one of those guys that gets overlooked and just how dynamic he was in the return game with all the touchdowns and the yardage and just what a unique player he was. But talking about special teams, when you look at two years ago when McGinnis was hurt and the punt game was, was not where it needed to be, look at the difference. Look at the difference. When you look at a quality special teams, that's the difference. Yeah, we, I, you know, we talked about Steven Johnson. Those guys. Yeah, okay, the improvement has been there. But special teams, if you don't have a kicker that you have confidence in, look at the Mississippi State game. Look at the Louisville game. I think it changes your play calling. So special teams for Kentucky is going to be huge again this year uh, like it was last year. Yes, for sure. And one final thing, i got to mention this as we close, you know, it's hard to believe how this year has flown by. Um, and in sports, you know, you can set your clock to all this kind of stuff because a lot of things happen at the same time. You look up, boom, March, it's March Madness. Boom, June, NBA Finals. Same thing in tennis. And we occasionally will work in some Serena talk or a little Federer and the doll or something like that. But January is coming on, Australian Open, boom. May, French Open, boom. June, Wimbledon, gone, boom. Here it is in the August 1st part of September. It's U.S. Open time already for tennis. It's their fourth and final major of the year. And last night, man, this Francis Tiasso kid, 19 years old for the United States, gave Roger Federer all he wanted. He won the first set 6-4. Federer comes back and thumps him in the second and third set, 6-2, 6-1. So, okay, he's on the verge of just, all right, it's, it's going to be four sets. It's going to be over with. Chiappa wins the fourth set, 6-1, forces a fifth set. Federer wins it 6-4 in the fifth set. But this kid is 19 years old. Uh, I think his highest ranking is number 60 in the world. He wasn't ranked or seeded in the tournament. But this was the first round. Federer, a third seed, and, and Francis Tiafo, who's considered one of the up-and-coming stars for America, American stars, which we don't see that much on the men's side, he gave Roger all he wanted last night. So had to at least mention what that kid did on the big stage of that State. Well, yeah, because it's always like, okay, who's, who's, who's next? We got great ones. They've been great for a while. Who's going to pick, pick it up? And you know, honestly, it's always one of these things that comes out of comes out of nowhere. Uh, and I know Federer's not who he was, you know, four or five years ago. But still, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, for a challenge like that for a 19-year-old on that stage, and I, yeah. I think that in tennis, probably, I mean, more you know, team sports not so much, golf not a whole lot, but for tennis. There's a little bit of intimidation factor to look across 
the net, and oh my goodness, it's Roger Federer. So for him to yeah. perform like that on that stage in that moment, uh, I think we're going to be hearing his name uh, for years to come if I had to put money on it. But I'm not a betting man. <laughs> right. <laughs> I understand. I'm, I'm right there with you. I just happened to flip over, and I think I caught the end of that fourth set, and then all of the fifth set. Um, the final game, you know, he just it just kind of unraveled for him for a little bit. Had a few unforced errors, uh, things like that. But like you said, on that stage, looking right across from one of the greatest to ever do it, you got to give him props for what he did at 19 years of age. And we just had to mention it tonight because we don't talk a lot of things. And sometimes we mean to get to a lot of stuff. And we end up just running out of time. But had to mention young Francis Tiafo and what he did last night. But we are at the end of another wonderful show, another fun show. Finally got football to look forward to this weekend. You predict Kentucky 35, something that's 17. I'm right there similar. I went 31 to 14. And we both look to come back this time next week uh, and talk about Kentucky being 1-0 and uh, heading to the home opener at Kroger Field against Eastern Kentucky. Which which I'll be there for, so I'm excited about that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, man, looking forward to it. Have a great evening. Thanks to Jason Munz for stopping by. We definitely enjoyed talking with him. And you just dropped some knowledge about going to Hattiesburg, and that was awesome. And then seeing <laughs> Witherspoon and all that. So, like you said, we got to have him on again come basketball season. And, man, just enjoy talking UK football. Enjoy all the Bengals talk. That was an unexpected turn, but it, it was fun. And the Browns talk. And then we kind of finished back out with some more UK football and a little MLB. So, all the best to your Oreos as they have played themselves back in contention. And look forward to talking about all that and more next week, and we'll see what happens with the Southerns and the Cavs on top of that. All right. It's been fun. Thanks again to Jason. Thanks, Vinny. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Y'all have a great week. You too, my man. For my man, Chain Brown, this is Vinny Hardy. Check us out. Blocktopradio.com slash Cats Talk. Brown and Hardy Radio Network. We'll see y'all next Wednesday. Good night, everybody. Oh, no.